United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. The indisputable fact of the unfolding Rohingya crisis that more than 600,000 people, 600,000 people have been forced to flee across the Burmese border into Bangladesh since August with terrible reports of rape and ethnic cleansing. This is a story we have touched on and we report on from time to time, but it's being neglected too much. And we are glad that we can put some more of a spotlight on the story. I just read the excerpt from a piece that Nancy Lindborg had put together. Nancy Lindborg is the president of the United States Institute of Peace. She is tweeting at Nancy Lindborg and joins us. Nancy, thank you for being on the show today. Good to be with you, Tim. Good morning. It's just, it, it's again, one of those situations where it seems so far away for most people. And it, it is just, it, it's, it's heart-wrenching again. And it, it does seem to be yet another place where we have just seen a powerful majority doing what they can to eliminate a less powerful minority. And I wonder if for people who are not familiar with this and what's going on in the Rakhine state, maybe you can explain what is taking place here. Uh, I can, although as I note um, in the article you cited, there's a, there's, there's a lot of murkiness in the narrative. Once you go beyond those facts, Um, when I was in uh, Myanmar, Burma, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it's as if you're going into, uh, you know, through the looking glass in terms of how it's understood and how it's talked about inside the country. So we've had incredibly disturbing reports from uh, those Rohingya who have fled into Bangladesh. And as, as you noted, there's, you know, stories of rape and wanton killings and people who have been forced out of their villages to walk across the border uh, across really difficult mountainous terrain into Bangladesh. However, the area they're leaving from Rakhine State has, you know, continues to be closed. So there's no ability to uh, reach remaining communities with humanitarian assistance or to understand what's really happened. And it's that lack of access and that closed off um, situation that allows uh, the, many of the officials, primarily the military, in, inside Myanmar to deny that, in fact, any of this is their doings. Um, and in the absence of the ability to, to have that firm accountability, we just are at the stalemate in the international conversation about how mm-hmm. to solve and what to do about it. Nancy, I know you, you talk about one of the camps that you visit and and. You say young people are unable to receive education past the 10th grade, but they have families who have been unable to leave this camp. They've been there for five years, five years, five years. You know, it's it's a little bit like the, uh, you know, the, the apartheid situation in South Africa, but but probably more confined and even worse, uh, where Rohingya in the central part of Rakhine State are cordoned off into little uh, village areas where they are not allowed to leave. Um, they uh, receive humanitarian assistance when humanitarian actors are allowed to to see them, and schools that are available to them only go up to the tenth grade. I mean, five years of this. This is a recipe for the kind of hopelessness and despair um, that can lead to. Uh, you know, the, the sort of anger, the sort of susceptibility to extremism 
um, that you you might imagine. I mean, anybody after five years of complete um, denial of freedom of movement starts having thoughts of what else might I do. So the the the, the Burmese military has laid the blame for much of the violence at the at the feet of a militant Rohingya group that has emerged over the last couple of year, couple of years. Um, and without question, there's evidence that they um, have done acts, uh, including the attack on the border guards, that sparked this latest wave of violence. But the disproportionate response and the continued um, attacks against civilians, uh, it's difficult to see the proportionality there. That is uh, the ARSA group you write about, the Arakan Rohingya right. Salvation Army? That's correct. Uh, once again, Nancy Lindborg, who is the president of the United States Institute of Peace, is joining us here on POTUS. You know, I, you talk about the filter through which people view this within the country, and there are still some, you know, some people still call it Burma. Some people call it Myanmar. Um, and, and I guess, I know you use the two interchangeably, but that in itself gives us an indication that there is certainly a, a lot of division within the country. Forget about, not forget about, but but aside from the the, the plight of the uh, the Muslim minority in, in, in the country. Well, that's exactly right. And that's part of the complexity of Burma that's important to understand as one thinks about what would a solution look like beyond the immediate urgent provision of humanitarian assistance and the urgent effort to stop any continuing violence. And after that, when you think about, well, can they go home, under what circumstances, um, you start getting into history that goes back couple thousand years. Um, in the case of Rakhine State, um, that's the Rakhine people are themselves a minority in a country that has, uh, you know, I think something like 32 registered minorities with a dominant group, the Burmese or the Bama, uh, who control the central government. So this has long, long been a fight of the minorities against the central government. And the Rakhine uh, are still very much affected by the fact that their empire was taken over by the majority Burmese several centuries ago, um, and they've been a minority ever since. So you've got a conflict and grievances between the Rakhine people and the central Burmese majority, and then the Rakhine people against the the Muslim Rohingya um, and even as you think about the return of the Rohingya people, you're up against deep, deep prejudices against them, both in Rakhine State and across the country. Again, Nancy, uh, Nancy Lindborg, United States Institute of Peace is with us. Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi is the first state counselor, which I guess is like being the president of the country and a Nobel Prize winner. And there's been a lot of criticism. I wonder if you could evaluate her performance and what her efforts have been like and whether or not the bloom is off the rose for Aung San Suu Kyi. Well, it's important to remember that Burma is still in the very early stages of a transition from the military government that controlled it for decades and the election that just recently occurred that gave her this position of state counselor. And it's because the constitution was written in a way that specifically precludes her from being officially the president, although she is de facto the president. But the military still controls 
many levers of power, including all of the security functions of the government. So she, in fact, has very little ability to control what the military is doing or not doing in Rakhine State. Um, I think there is deep disappointment. All of us are disappointed that she hasn't been the clarion voice uh, calling out the terrible human rights abuses that have been occurring. At the same time, I think she remains the singular person at this time who can help continue Burma on this pathway to democracy. And so as we think of measures, uh, be it sanctions or otherwise, to try to address this situation, um, it's important to also keep in mind um, how this democracy must continue to unfold because we, the, the alternative could easily be a return to the military government. And I think that the military would be just fine with that. What Finally, what should the U.S. do? Well, uh, Secretary of State uh, Tillerson was there recently, and I think it's important for the U.S. to make it clear that we are deeply concerned uh, to call out the ethnic cleansing that by all accounts is occurring. If there's a dispute with with Uh, the military as to whether it's ethnic cleansing or not, we should push as hard as possible to have access. Right now, the military is conducting its own investigations of what happened, which is simply not credible. Um, And we need to use all the tools we can to hold those accountable uh, for these terrible human rights abuses. At the same time, I contend that we should continue to support the transition to democracy that it's too important to lose the advances of the last couple of years. And if we lose that, we could see a return of the many other conflicts that have gone on on the other side of the country on the Thai border uh, for the last several decades, that we're in a very, very difficult situation. Finally, we need to look at how to create the reconciliation mechanisms that will allow the the, uh, Rohingya to return home to an environment where there's a lot of hate and distrust among the Rakhine people, regardless of what the Burmese government does or doesn't do. Nancy Lindborg, have a nice Thanksgiving. I appreciate you joining us on POTUS today. It's an important issue. Glad you could shed some light on it. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you, Tim. Nancy Lindborg is the president of the United States Institute of Peace. It is not a wonderful Thanksgiving, although they don't celebrate it, but it's not a good period of time. For those who are caught up in this ethnic cleansing, as Nancy described it, the Rohingya minority, the Muslim minority in Myanmar, Burma, and we wanted to put some light onto that subject, and we're glad that Nancy could join us to do so. She's just back from there. Uh, She is tweeting, by the way, at Nancy Lindborg, at Nancy, L-I-N-D-B-O-R-G. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.